Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good afternoon, Tim Kulak community. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brick Kulak Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Broodcast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Kulak Center. Today, we are taking a look at, uh, or some background initially, part of the broader force design 2030 reforms that have been underway since 2019 under General David Berger's Commandant's Planning Guidance. Talent Management 2030 has become a focus area in those efforts. And just last week, the Marine Corps wrapped up its inaugural Talent Management Summit to provide deeper discussion and feedback on Talent Management 2030. So joining us for this special broadcast episode are members of the Talent Management Strategy Group at Headquarters Marine Corps. They're going to discuss the outputs of the summit, the status of Talent Management 2030, and the way forward on this for the Marine Corps. So first, I'm just going to do a short introduction here for the names, uh, names of our panelists, and then I'm going to turn it to them to give a little bit more about their backgrounds, what brought them to the team, and then uh, and then introduce what they do, and we'll get into questions right away. So with us today, we have Lieutenant Colonel Reed Hawk, who is the deputy of the Talent Management Strategy Group, Master Gunnery Sergeant Sage Gouda, who is the senior enlisted member, Captain Julie Schumacher, who is the manpower analyst, Captain Adam Devine, uh, FMF liaison officer, Gunnery Sergeant Nicholas Knoll, who is enlisted integration, and then I also want to give a shout out to the person who helped us organize this, which is Major Sharon Sisparo. She just graduated Command and Staff College. She was a woman peace and security uh, scholar with us here under the Kulak Center. And uh, she went right over to the Comstrat for the Talent Management Strategy Group. So appreciate her efforts in bringing this together. All right. Uh, with that, sir and ladies and gentlemen, we'll turn it over to you to just kind of introduce yourselves a little bit further, a little bit of background, and then dive into what the Talent Management Strategy Group is doing to support Talent Management 2030. Hey, great. Thank you very much for having us here. I really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Lieutenant Colonel Hauk. Uh, doing Talent Management 2030 on behalf of the ACMAC uh, with the Talent Management Strategy Group and a, and a, and a team of exceptionally talented Marines. Uh, the, the key that we have to focus on in this space is that uh, we're, we're really moving out on a 21st century model for talent management. If we were to look at this from through the lens of uh, Brute Kulak in the 21st century, I'd say we're we're in an interwar period. Um, and, and frankly, as we were drafting through TM 2030 with the Commandant, my framework continued to go back to that interwar period of the 30s and how we had to innovate in this space. So in this interwar period right now, we have to innovate to the 21st century in talent management. We will need a talented, uh, intelligent, innovative, and lethal Marine Corps. And force design is the design process to get there. But what I argue is, at this time and space, talent management, frankly, is our Higgins code. If we don't modernize in talent management, we're going to be very challenged to, to meet and adapt to the talent world we face in modern society. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to Master Guns Sage Goida to, to continue. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, Master Guns Sage Goida, um, just a quick background on me. I started out some time in the infantry. Uh, transitioned to recon, and in 2008, I, I uh, joined MARSOC. And then for the last three years before uh, joining this team, I was the MARSOC monitor and had a great time and great experience there. So as soon as I heard about talent management and TMX, um, I was extremely eager and passionate to join this team. I'm, I'm glad I am I'm surrounded by other Marines who are who share the same passion, um, and we're looking forward to moving forward. And my name is Captain Adam Devine. I'm a logistics officer by trade. Uh, spent some time in 1st Marine Division as a lieutenant and then uh, as a captain in 2nd MLG uh, with 2nd Transportation Battalion uh, and CLR2. Um, when I was notified I was coming to the team, I was ecstatic uh, being able to be a part of a small team of high performers looking at uh, innovative solutions for the problem at hand uh, and being on the, the team that's helping deliver the force for Force Design 2030 is very exciting. So glad to be here uh, and contributing and and we're gonna get it done. Gunner. Uh, Gunner Sergeant Nicholas Knoll. I'm a career planner by trade. Uh, prior to joining the Town Management Strategy Group, I worked down in uh, manpower management and list assignments retention section. I believe I was recruited pretty heavily by Master Gunner Sergeant Goida to come up to give uh, another perspective from the enlisted retention uh, perspective and some initiatives we can do in the Marine Corps 
Um, so everything we started down with MNRA using TMX to kind of help leverage some of those efforts uh, to continue the efforts to evolve the talent management sphere. Uh, so I'm excited to be here, excited to contribute, and I look forward to everything. Awesome. Good afternoon, Captain Julie Schumacher. I'm an um, aviation supply officer by trade. Spent some time on the West Coast before um, heading up to Naval Postgraduate School. Uh, received the um, 8840 MOS and uh, currently conducting my utilization tour. Previously worked uh, within DCMNRA at the um, MPP Manpower Plans Policy and Budget Branch uh, before getting plucked up to, uh, to work for Lieutenant Colonel Hauk and the Assistant Commandant for Talent Management. I'm Major Sharon Sisparo. Um, I'm the Comstrat officer here, and I just got on deck last week, so I know one of the complaints that we've heard from Marines. Don't worry, Marines, we've heard you. Um, you want to hear more about TMX, and you want to hear more about talent management. I just got on deck last week. I can assure you that we're going to start moving and shaking a lot more, and you'll hear a lot more about talent management. All right, great. Well, I think, you know, to help support that, this is, you know, a good jumping off platform. I think the timing is really good because, um, Last week, if my, my calendar is correct, is when the Talent Management Summit was being held. So there's a lot of fresh information that could probably be shared. So uh, if you could um, you know, collectively tell us uh, what, what was the summit's, what, what were its focal points of discussion? What were some of the goals that it was trying to, uh, trying to achieve in terms of outputs? And then what some, were some of the initiatives that Marines can expect to come out of it? Yeah, hey, um... So I will say there's some broad themes that came out of the Talent Management Summit that we have to take seriously as we move forward. So about 100 participants from across the Fleet Marine Force, MAR4 Res, and our partners across Headquarters Marine Corps. And those themes really uh, you know, expanded beyond just what's written in Talent Management 2030, and that is uh, bottom-up feedback loops. We have to have it. And, and, and the three things we need to really be focused on are transparency. So Transparency is critical to talent management, and, and the fleet really resounded in that, those statements to us last week. The next is, is freedom and agency. Those, those are critical. Um, meet, meeting Marines where they're at and, and recognizing um, that we do want a more uh, mature Marine Corps and the things we have to do to, to expand that realm in, in the talent management space so that we achieve that down the road. And then uh, an anchor and bedrock, right? We recruit Marines to the yellow footprints we retain families, and uh, and that was uh, you know said multiple times throughout the week. Is we we have to do more to recognize that the talented marine we want likely has uh, a wife or a husband, and uh, you know potentially has children, and those things have a vote in the in the space when we talk about uh, retention or not. And even that expand beyond that, right? These marines might have exceptional family members, et cetera. Those things balance out. And we have to be able to step forward with a with a talent mindset that that achieves that basis of family and service at the same time. Okay, so that that's a lot of feedback going in there. So, what are uh, some things that the someone maybe took that, packaged it up, and how is it going to move out on some of those items? Right. So, I think if you look at how we're designed, we're a small team, and we do. Most of our actions by with and through stakeholders, both the headquarters and Marine Corps, but uh, I would offer in some cases more importantly the fleet. So it gave them a platform to, to give some of the recommendations. So I think it served two main purposes. It, it gave some, it validated a lot of the initiatives that we're working on currently. And then, um, which for a listed perspective, what I'd like to highlight there is updating the retention order. So the, the current retention order is uh, dated 2010. So we're modernizing it and looking at various things to bake into it to uh, update that to serve as a source document that's updated for retention efforts. Um, one of this, uh, another initiative that we're looking at is shifting the enlisted retention board or promotion boards uh, to better align the ecosystem. And some of this is still conceptual working with action officers. Um, but if you look at how the current officer promotion retention and assignments process goes. It's a little bit more sequential, so we're looking at from an enlisted perspective, se sequencing things in a more natural order. And non-select notification for enlisted, so similar to P4 for officers, look into, before the MAR admin comes out to let who's identified for uh, selection, notifying the, the, the service members who did not get selected. 
And those are just some of the items. The list goes on. It's probably 100 items, and then we took more from the summer from last week. And if we're still sifting through all that. You got to remember, it let out Friday. We still got feedback. We only got some of the stuff from last night. So we're still sitting there going through, and we're going to be uh, briefing the ACMAC on uh, tomorrow, actually. So one of the um, one of the resounding topics that came from the fleet as well was career flexibility. It's it's talked about in TM twenty thirty, and it was really it seemed to be really important to the to the fleet as well to speak on one of the uh, one of the items that the uh, the team is working on for the for the um, buy with and through our stakeholders for the fleet is uh, is separate competitive categories. And really, what that is doing is it's it's further dividing our unrestricted officer promotion category uh, into um, into groups of, of like MLSs, of, of jobs that recognizable recognizable by the board uh, and able to um, to really distinguish the, the the best and most qualified individual within that within that category. And it's it's going to provide um, just more equity across across MLSs and, and really fitting the the Marine to the the requirement and what the what the Marine, Marine Corps is, is in need of. It, it, one thing I like to add real quick for the listeners. So the, the summit was divided into three groups, three working groups. Um, one working group focused on retention. One working group focused on uh, career flexibility. And the last working group focused on IT modernization. And I will say one other common theme that came out, even though there was a working group dedicated just to IT modernization, every other working group had uh, sub breakout groups and all brought up how IT modernization needs to be one of the number one things we tackle. You know, the Commandant's been talking about that. I mean, this is very important, right? He, you can buy a house on your cell phone, but you can't select where you want to go on your cell phone. I mean, not to be flippant with, with the principles of why you need IT modernization, but in, in reality, we need to, to be able to meet Marines as a Marine Corps and talent managers in the service of the Marine Corps. We need to be able to meet Marines where they're at. And this generation of Marines, um, meeting them where they're at is meeting them at where they're, the information space they're comfortable in, and then also creating a transparent agency in that information space where they feel like their input is, is received and understood um, by, you know, an antiquated system that we've had in the past, right? Excel spreadsheets, et cetera, emails to your monitor, a more real-time interaction to, uh, to create a transparent environment is, is critically important. Yeah, no, that makes sense, sir. And I'll get your thumb here shortly. Uh, but could you maybe expand on some of those, some IT modernization things that might be coming out in the near term? Yeah. So um, with with IT modernization, it um, it's a challenge, right? This is a space that's extremely challenging. What I will say is the Department of Navy has paired with us um, under you know contracting vessels that already exist to get at that uh, requirement. The Commandant and the Palm Cycle has funded. Um, you know, 140 million towards IT modernization, specifically in the manpower system. What you would say, though, is that we have to look at this from a service perspective. So DCI, TECOM, um, MNRA, CDNI, and others, right? We have to have a service perspective about uh, modernization of IT systems. So if we could get to a visionary state, and I don't think we're very far off from it. I can't give you a time scale yet. I don't think we're very far off from it. Where a Marine, via the access of an iPad, or his cell phone is able to look at the lifestyle or the, the, the life chain of his career and project where he's going to create opportunities for career flexibility at the, at the touch of his finger, right? Because if, if we're talking about meeting Marines where they're at, does every corporal and every battalion or squadron have access to a computer to interface with his career in a digital environment? No, we have to be able to meet him where he's at in a system that allows them to communicate. So um, I, I will tell you to the, the, the longer answer to a long answer, is, is we're working on it. We're about 100, we have 100 days with a cross-functional team with DON to get to an end result, to look at contracting out an option and a, and a resource. So if you if you look at it, what we call talent management engagement portal, that might be the, the way forward, that all Marines have a portal that they can look at the avatar of their career life. And it captures the things they say to their recruiter the first time he meets, uh, the first time that Marine meets the recruiter from his benefit tag, it, you know, in that intimate setting as a civilian, all the way through his career progression is tracked. We don't have bins of information that we lose over time. So that maybe we can look at that Marine uh, via this portal and say, hey, your benefit tag was 
world travel, see the world, was your benefit take when you met the recruiter at the first time, the first time? What is your benefit take today? If you're hitting them a year out from retention, what's your benefit take today? Maybe it's shifted. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe that Marine's a, a maintainer in a C-130 squadron. His benefit take was see the world, but he hasn't gotten to go anywhere. Well, maybe we can fix that. Those are the ways I think if we get to a modern IT system, we can know more about the Marine. The Marine can know more about their career. And if you can marry those things up, you'll achieve career flexibility, a better retention ecosystem, et cetera. And I, I really believe it's right on the horizon. Okay, actually, so I got a question in the chat that kind of touches that, sir. I'll bring it up here shortly, but um, do you have a comment to Yeah, just wanted to caveat off the career flexibility and kind of the themes that we saw during the Talent Management Summit. Uh, and one of the big things that we're realizing and feedback we're getting is, is we need to do a, a better job and create better processes of finding the talent within the organization that already exists uh, in the reserve component and, and being able to leverage that uh, in the active component. Uh, and on top of that, uh, being better as a force at at creating processes and creating uh, a talent management environment that considers the total force. Uh, and that that's all aspects of the Marine Corps. Uh, so we reference the fleet, we reference MAR4 Res, but what, what we realized from the summit uh, is that as a service, we need to look at ourselves as a total force and be able to identify and utilize the talent within uh, in a little bit better manner. But that was all I wanted to caveat off that. Um, okay, actually, and there's second question in here kind of touches on services. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. But um, so back to that, that career tag thing you talked about, sir. Uh, first question here, um, it kind of goes into that the retention category, which is one of those three focus groups. And so in that retention group during the talent management summit, were there any things that were um, noted that leaders could like things you that Marines said that if you gave it to them or if their leaders told it to them, that would help retain them in the Marine Corps um, if they were looking at getting out? Like what what keeps them in? Gunny, do you want to do you want to go with this one? Yeah, so um, I can speak I can speak for myself with my interactions with Marines from being a unit level career planner. It varies a little from unit to unit. Um, but, but the big thing that we got out of the summit is anything that we can do to incentivize performance. Um, so whether that's a, a monetary incentive, whether it's another type of incentive, uh, be it time off or um, housing opportunities or, or whatever it is, a lot of what we got to and what we got out of the uh, the recruiting and, and retention uh, working group was, it boils down to quality of life. So things that you can do to improve quality of life, whether it's a little bit of extra money in the pocket, better living quarters, uh, opportunities to live out in town, things of that nature. Those were a lot of things that were recurring uh, that got brought up over and over again. Um, but again, that, that'll vary. If you, ask, if you ask 10 Marines, you may get 10 different answers for what they would actually want to see but those are those were kind of the big ones as far as uh, monetary incentives um, and then quality of life things related to housing. Yeah. Was your question more what the commands would currently do? Uh, I, I guess it could cover both of those, right? Yeah. Like, so if 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 there were things identified in that retention group that have worked to keep Marines in, you know, was that brought up as something that should be right. you know shared more widely, or were there things that are not being you know, set or offered right now that would improve. One thing that I know is a common thing, and, and please chime in on this, is command climate. Uh, and that doesn't cost anything. So, in TMX is not going to be able to go to the barracks and go to the commands to influence that. So, that's where we're talking about that fleet buy in, buy with and through. Uh, command climate from the servos we've seen is the number one reason Marines are getting out. Now, when you peel back the onion, it's hard to tell. It varies from geographical location, the command itself, what, what those those hot buttons are. But command climate is something that, that any leader, enlisted or officer can get after right now. You know, and Master Guns, you have a, a great point, right? So if we put this into the uh, the big blue arrow um, of, of retention, really retaining the talented force, if you put it into context of, of, of over time, we spend um, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to recruit the Marine and put him through his initial pipeline. But there's there's not near as much investment at the 36 month mark at the expiration of his first term contract or even into the further out STAP contracts. So I think the challenge could be pivoted, right? 
what, what are we doing as a service to create an environment where we feel we have to continue to recruit the Marine? Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, everybody's going to get a puppy if they reenlist, right? Not to be flippant, but I'm not promising that. But what I am, what I am challenging the Marine Corps to think about is what role does the major XO and OPSO or company commanders or staff section heads, um, department heads in a squadron, officers and staff and COs play in the retention ecosystem? Is it, is it just a paperwork process that you go through and you see the dentist and you see the doctor and you route your paperwork and, and it silently goes through the process uh, in an analog system? Or are we looking at a system whereby there's more agency across the enterprise to be invested in the retention effort? So if I would say, could you look at an XO of a unit and, and challenge that XO to be the chief recruiting officer for the retention? And it literally results in kneecaps and kneecaps. I, I wonder, right, the silence that we haven't researched uh, in this space. But what would a Marine do? Napoleon said, what would a Marine do or what would a soldier do for a strip of ribbon? What are we doing for just a good conversation, right? And will that conversation make a difference? I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant. Bonuses matter. Quality of life matters. Barracks, stability for family, transparency, agency. All those things are critical. But there's one one element that doesn't cost a whole lot, and that's creating an environment, maybe through PME and other institutions, that we create an officer corps and a staff and CEO corps that is bought hook, line, sinker, and retention of talent. Because I'm telling you, we're in an interwar period and we're in a global war for talent. And if we don't if we don't figure it out, we're gonna be without our Higgins Bay. And if I could add something, one thing, when Captain Schumacher joined the team, and we're coming up with all these different ideas and concepts, some of the variables that we take into consideration doesn't make it more efficient for the Marine, for the command and headquarters of Marine Corps in that order. So I want to make sure that the listeners know we're not trying to add more packs or more rocks to their pack, but that's kind of the lens that we look through. Um, and some of these initiatives sound like the, the command team is just going to have more to do. So a part of this ecosystem that we're modernizing is a better toolkit, both in-person and virtual, to give some commands who need more. Uh, some some resources. Here's a command retention mission. Here's resources that would complement that. Okay, and so actually on that, and then uh, so you're thinking about PME as well. Uh, a couple questions popped out talking about maybe some other things that are being discussed to uh, to empower those commands to have more tools to draw on. So uh, some thoughts were, I don't know, are there is there discussion of more commanders discretion for financial bonuses to like high performers in the command? There is, and and as well, what about Blending PME to put officer enlisted together and to, to sort of build that tighter relationship that you have to kneecap in the schoolhouse environment, not just in the. Yeah, that, so uh, just this weekend, um, there were some conversations that have been had about, about PME and integrating PME officer enlisted side. Um, and look, the, 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 the space that we're working in is, you know, it's theoretical in some regards, right? And, and, and we have to exist in an unconstrained environment, um, recognizing that there's law and policy and all sorts of other things that challenge us today does not mean that we don't challenge ourselves as a small team to look at what is the realm of possible and, and get, uh, you know, approval from the ACMAC and the Commandant to, to possibly change law so that we can create an environment where officers, staff and COs, PME together so that you have, you know, I mean, I could, could you imagine a world where a gunny goes to NPS and gets a master's and then checks into TMX as a subject matter expert to get after the Marine Corps issues? I can imagine that world. The reason is that gunny's checking into TMX this week. You know, the first gunny to graduate with a master's from NPS and, and manpower analytics, right, Jules? Yeah. So that that matters, right? That's the space that we're talking about. And I think we have to we have to look at that. Would that if so CNA did a very good study about what would retain Marines and the number one st statistically significant element that will retain Marines is career opportunity. Is, is PME education a master's? Is that career opportunity? That's the question we have to answer in our, do we need to change some things to get there? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. I didn't know that the first one was going out of MBS, but that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, he's joining. He's checking in next week. Gunny Smart, Brandon Smart. 
Johnny Sparks, good name. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, so Kevin Devine, that's your point. You talked about like looking inward for service. So one of the questions that came in here was, um, first off, yeah, looking for talent within, right? Like recruiting from within, uh, but then also either in the talent management summit or sort of your broader project, talent management 2030, uh, has there been an active look at what other services have been doing in terms of changing how they, they manage careers, how they manage people, um, you know, pilot programs that might be adopted and I think somebody even threw in here, what about outside the U.S. allied militaries and any examination of how they manage their populations? So uh, I can tell you, I can't speak on behalf of other nations' militaries or, or even other services within our own. Um, what I can tell you is that we had uh, four liaison officers from four uh, separate uh, foreign armed services at the summit. Uh, we had, um, we have been working with uh, all the services uh, to gain best practices. Um, it's talent management is a uh, it's a challenge that we're all facing. We're all faced with right now. We're all trying to figure it out. Um, no one, no one of us has the right answer. So working together, I think we found uh, we can all come up with uh, with some pretty good ideas and get after it. So I will say there, there's another. We're also working with civilian uh, companies that that mimic our scale. To see some best practices that they're they're doing, um, and, and that's that's paid out a lot of dividends on seeing some best practices and the sets of reps that they have, and seeing how we can take that and transform it into the Marine Corps. But uh, Gunny Knoll last week participated in a retention symposium at the Pentagon with all the branches of the service. If you want to just give a quick, yeah. So it was uh, it was all all the branches to include uh, Space Force. They had a representative there. Uh, and the the underlying theme is we're all we're all facing the same challenges right now. So we're we are we have a struggle right now to uh, clearly identify and then subsequently retain our top talent uh, because of competition in the civilian marketplace, competition with civilian with sister services or whatever the case is. We're also having a little bit of struggle identifying that top talent in the civilians to bring into the military service as well. Uh, so it, it is not necessarily a Marine Corps problem that we're struggling with talent management or trying to solve talent management. Um, it, it's across all the services. So it, if every service has uh, some unique way or thing that they found that is working for them, uh, we are definitely open to, to pursuing some of that to see if we can implement that and how we're doing talent management as well. Great. Uh, so I got another question here in the chat. We've been taking a lot. So uh, we'll, after this one, I'm going to open it up to the room here um, see if folks have some questions as well. But uh, this is from, actually, I'm going to call him out because we know uh, Major Tyler Quinn, who's been a long time friend of the Freelax Center, just graduated from SAW. Um, so he's off, going to be doing great, uh, great planning stuff as well. But um, his question actually jumps off from a, this is going to be kind of geeky, but a Twitter thread that sort of blew up at 11 o'clock last night, but as it sometimes does. But looking at um, revisiting something as sort of as fundamental as the MOS, yeah, little t, training command, that's what that. Um, so his question is, in terms of the MOS structure as part of the, you know, the manpower structure that's been around for a long, long time, has there been any, um, any view of looking at these as more flexible, more malleable, um, more flexibility to lap move from one MOS to another, or potentially starting off much broader in terms of when you come in and then honing down into uh, specialization later on, like to allow a sampling period or you do some common OJT and then sort of see where your strengths lie. Um, and he's noting his in existence, uh, you know, the book range by David Epstein talking about how generalists are, are often a lot more successful than, you know, very narrow hyper-specialists. Yeah. Um, so Major Q, uh, thank you. Uh, but I really want to pass this to Captain Schumacher because two weeks ago she was in the Commandant's office pitching a lot of these very concepts that are asked, right? And and, and, the, and the ACMAC likes it. So we're going in that space, but really I, I got a Captain Schumacher, she's a subject matter expert. So, and sir, I'd love to get the list that he that he rattled off because there's things I'd probably love to, to add to our list of things to, to tackle. But one of the ones um, I would like to draw his attention to is, is the technical career path. Um, the institution sends, uh, officers and hopefully in the future enlisted uh, as well to to places such as Naval Postgraduate School to get a technical MLS um, to include Rayo Feo. And we utilize those Marines uh, for three years, sometimes two, 
and then they are pulled back to their primary MOS. Um, and a, there are some of them that, that want to be pulled back to their primary MOS, but there are others that would prefer to stay within that technical MOS. And, and really what the technical career path um, is hoping to do is allow those Marines the opportunity to remain that technical MLS. Um, and then it's our job as the institution to create a path for them to fill to the, the remainder of their career, but just opening the door for really the, the Marine Corps to, um, to further utilize the skills that they have uh, been educated on and have continued to refine. Um, the one that really has been, been driven home uh, for PPNO and PLUs is the Rayo Fayo community keeping those Marines um, in their skill, in their language, in that culture, um, and, and allowing for the foreign units to, to benefit from that. So um, as far as the, the flexibility within MOS, the primary MOSs, that again, I, I would love to, to get that list and, and speak to him to, to further develop that. But the flexibility right now, the conversation is with those technical MOSs, the 88XXs, the 0505s, um, and, and continuing to utilize those Marines with the skills that they have worked very hard to to, make, uh, to gain and, and maintain. I hope that answered his question. Yeah, and actually, I'd like really like him to come over to the Mars Center for a cup of coffee because he's been ghosting me. So that would be great right. to have him over in our space because I, I, I'd like to pick his brain. Great. He's been called out by a couple of folks, so you better <laughs> you better deliver, and we know how to get a hold of him. He's yes, still we do. For us, too, at the Drillet Center. And I, I think on the, other, on the other end of that spectrum of generalization, um, We've had, uh, I have to call out uh, CDNI, but they hosted a, um, a problem framing OPT with the logistics community um, in May. And one of the topics they were discussing uh, was kind of their structure, looking inward at their own community uh, and some talent management initiatives that they can kind of take on themselves uh, through the off fields in uh, CDNI and kind of in shape the future for their community. And one of the things that they, they centered on uh, was creating specialization and generalization tracks within their own community to kind of provide more flexibility up to the, the chief level uh, of the staff and CEOs uh, in their community. So, so conversations are happening uh, about headquarters Marine Corps. They're, they are uh, including off fields and, and looking at community specific issues. Um, but that, that is just a precursor to uh, what may happen. So um, again, and, and kind of speak more uh, Lieutenant Carl, how can probably speak more to this, but when we're looking at talent management issues uh, from a culture versus ethos or a culture and ethos um, perspective, there, there are things that we do as Marines uh, that are more habits and norms uh, that we've fallen into custom of doing um, that are up for debate. Uh, one of those being uh, how we kind of structure our, our manpower and ourselves. So um, yeah, just a plug for, for the logistics community, but um, yeah, we're talking about it. Yeah, we get a lot of plugs from logistics folks for, for their community and what they're doing, so <laughs> feel free to keep plugging. Um, okay, I'd like for uh, for anyone here in the room with us, um, if you have any, any questions you'd like to share, um, feel free, ma'am, gentlemen. All right, so I, I, have, I actually have two questions. Um, and I'll give them to you both at the same time, and then you can pick which order you want to answer them. So what, I, I've heard of conferences and working groups and trips and whatnot, like what are, no kidding action items that you have on the calendar, you know, in the next whatever days we're going to release this or we're going to have this before the ACMAC. And what are things you're moving out on or that are, you know, potential items that you're going to move out on that, that can get people excited uh, to, to, to look forward to, you know, hitting the news and then uh, actual, see some actual change. That's number one. And then number two, I'm interested in the command climate um, point in terms of retention. But is there any granularity on you know what what specifically about command climate and, and does it vary uh, by demographic and you know could you tell from from the uh, whatever information you're you're studying and I'm I'm even struck by um, you know I'm I'm the mother of of 20 year olds and if I say the word manpower to them they look at me like well I'm not a man like but that doesn't mean anything to me are we are we conscious of our language when we're talking about talent management. A Marine is not just a he, you know, he or she. So are, are these things that the group is sort of wrestling with from a service perspective? Ma'am, thank, thank you very much. So uh, I'll tackle it. There's there's some folks 
uh, that, that can speak greater to this than, than me uh, and just around this table, mm -hmm. specifically some of your points, but what things are we doing, right? What's, what's hot on the docket that we're getting after? What I'd like to open with is, you know, the Commandant says that we're, that we have an antiquated system that's 70 years old, right? Uh, he says specifically in TM 2030, that that's the process that we live in. What I will say is General Adignan has led a very strong charge in the talent management space called manpower modernization over the last 24 months. So to say that the, that the Marine Corps wasn't innovating in this, in this space, um, that would be disingenuous. It, it certainly was. What was really interesting and, and showing up at MNRA as, as the first 0505 to be there, and, and in the first 30 minutes I'm there, I'm looking at the first draft of TM2030, and then I have to dissect what is MNRA doing, current state, what is TM2030 envisioning, and marrying those up. Believe it or not, you know, because MNRA did not write TM2030, the Commandant did. But believe it or not, what MNRA was doing over the last 24 months really is a supporting um, prelude to what 2030 envisions into a design process in the future, right? What is over three ridgelines from now? That's the space we're in. Now, to say, um, the whole team here, extremely talented, decisive individuals, um, all with an unbelievable penchant for action, right? We, we, we just want to do a lot, right? Um, all of us want to do things right now. We've done things. But like our partners inside of MNRA, we haven't really talked about it. And so with Sharon on the team, I envision we're going to start talking more about what we're doing. But, you know, we formed, stormed, and normed in, on February you know, 6th. On February 10th, we're sitting down with the ACMAC with a Recruit the Marine campaign, right? Really revamping retention with a behavioral economics mindset, right? ACMAC liked some of our stuff, didn't like some of our stuff. The bottom line is the things he did like are already ingested in the system and they're working it inside MNRA. Small team, uh, you know, not small team, very large team, network team, but um, we couldn't do all that, right? We have to work with partners that own those key stakes elements of, of modernization to get after it. So that we've done things. We're just, we're learning. We need a good Sharon Sisparo to learn how to talk about it. Um, Command climate. Um, right now, what I would tell you is there are plenty of great studies, the EMLS and others that will give you more of a deep dive of command climate. Um, I can't give you a 100% answer on that. I think I owe a do out back to you on, on what we're looking at and probably really the, the, our listeners at Crew Lack. We need, we need to dissect that a little bit more. And then talent management and a manpower system, right? Is it time to start looking at total force human resources? as a title and a way forward, right? Total force human resources. It is active, it is reserved, it is permeable. Um, the Australians are doing some really great things with uh, service categories, et cetera. And they, and they, and they don't refer to it as manpower, it's future ready, future ready workforce. Um, do we need to kind of get in that mindset? And, and I'm glad you called it out. Um, you know, I've sat here today speaking and, and I have said him probably more than I've said her and to the point where I've actually wrote it down that I got to stop doing that because it is a mindset, right? It's a mindset. We, we have to move forward with the mindset that, you know, every Marine has unbelievable potential to be talented. And, and regardless of all those things that are, 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 that make us diverse force, our diverse force is what makes us unique. Our uniqueness is what makes us talented. Our talents is what makes us leader. If I could say one of the things that, ma'am, um, that, that we are going to do, so starting in July, we'll start listening sessions with specific demographics all throughout the Marine Corps. So Marines, we hear you and we, we want to hear more from you um, because we're, we're going in with an idea or we're going in with the premise that there is no Marine Corps without Marines, period. We need to retain our Marines. Our Marines are the most important part of the Marine Corps. So why are they leaving? And this isn't just, uh, there will be groups broken out by different demographics, such as corporals and sergeants and staff sergeants, and, and there'll be individual groups. But what we'd also like to hear is from the dual military couples. We wanna hear from the dual professional couples or the single Marines, um, single parent Marines, exceptional family member Marines, um, and, and, and even potentially collaborate with the DE and Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Office so that we can start talking if there are any specific reasons why Marines might leave based on gender, sex, 
race, ethnicity, anything like that. Um, no, no topic is off the table. And this is about wolf fighting. This is about retaining the best talent and being able to outpace our pacing threat. And we need every single one of our Marines to be a part of that. And another challenge about uh, collecting the data to have a little bit more granularity on your command climate is if you look at the process by which we collect information on these various interviews, uh, exit survey, 24 month survey, it's, it's we're at the mercy of the individual holding the, the, the conversation. So part of what we're doing with this retention order is standardizing portions of these interviews with a feedback loop that is, is agile and goes to the right people, both the headquarters and report and leadership. So we understand the concerns and grievances and the other part of it, why Marines are staying as well. We don't put that. So as a prior monitor, trying to understand how to hit the career players up at the unit and why are these Marines getting up? And it might be one or two words at best. There's no substance, no meat on the bone. So that's one of the things that we're uh, trying to get after when I alluded to the update rule here. Thank you. Any other comments on that? Any other questions from the room? Yeah, Sir. I do. Um, thank you. And this is beyond the scope. I uh, apologize and please feel free to. But what are you talking about and looking at in return? In regards to recruiting, the impact this will have on who we're appealing to committing you see this having any impact at all? Are we still going to focus recruiting on the same type that we do and then just try to develop them differently? Or do we think that there is a loop here that's going to change the way we target and recruit? For example, one of the things, as I recall, in TN 2030 is the idea that uh, we do some direct recruitment. Is that on the table yet, or is that still just? It is. Um, what, what I'll tell you is we, we have the best recruiting enterprise, arguably, in the world, right? We, have, we know our demographic. Um, we know what we attract. And we turn that into exceptional warfighters, and and we stage the Marine Corps to, to to be you know to be violent and lethal. Now, the reality is is it, it obviously is a system where you find an individual. I have a seat to put him in. Maybe it aligns with what he wants to do. Maybe it doesn't. We have to modernize that. And there's a couple a couple things in the in the action right now. They're actually in RDTNE right now. And it's Marine Corps Occupational Skills Matching, um, and it's Retention Predictive Network. So MACASM, great name, uh, is a program where you can, you know, using kind of, you know, technology, study, uh, analytics, test that potential recruit and match him up with where his natural talent attributes, desires, passions lie with jobs in the Marine Corps in that initial sessions pipeline or her. Thank you for calling me out. Yes. That individual and where he best aligns. Now, RPN is, is going to forecast statistic, hopefully statistically significant forecast their likelihood to retain all the way through contracts. So they unlikely to, to leave early. It's called non EAS attrition and then potentially continue to serve beyond the first, first term. So you can have a better picture of the individual. And have that communication with the individual about where they're lining up in the Marine Corps and where they belong. We're going to mimic those things on the officer side as well, so that the individual officer will have some feedback, and we're putting them in the jobs that their talent attributes, their attitudes, etc., line up better uh, with with jobs in the Marine Corps. And all of this would say that if you do it right, if a, if a Marine is somewhere where they're happy, they're passionate, and they're talented for, the chances that they stay and continue to contribute increase or when they get to the point where they're going to, to step away at, at their first tour or later in their career that they might go direct affiliation of the reserves so we can continue to retain that talent for the future future on up so that actually might answer my next question which is how are you factoring in the fact that the Marine Corps pyramid at the off-ramp we have a huge shift where we create a climate where 90 percent of marines want to be retained we can only keep 40% of them. Uh, we're creating a longer term, potentially, at least theoretically, disillusionment factor. Um, so 
So maybe maybe the total force concept is useful. But anyway, so are you thinking through that as well? Well, well I think any business or company or organization would like to have that problem. Sure. So we have to we do have to recognize that, you know, right now we retain approximately twenty-five percent of every cohort, right? So every year our retention mission for the FTAP population is approximately 25%. What that means is that we have to bring in approximately 36,000 fresh recruits annually. And then um, those 36,000 will, will go through their four-year career, about somewhere between you know, 15 and 25% of them will, will try it out for one reason, injury, other issues. But bottom line is that 35,000 population is going to hit the shoreline as a big wave every summer right and we're going to keep about 25 percent of them to, to bring them in into the next side if you look at retention as a total force then retention exists not just in the 25 percent or maybe more maybe you know every it changes it might change as force design fully develops for to structure the 25 percent goes back to duty that remainder 75 percent of the force of that 72% of it either never serve again or go in the Army Guard, right? We lose a lot. We're only retaining of the 30, you know, of the, the uh, 30,000 or so that we're letting go, or actually a little less than 30, so 25,000 that we're letting go at the end of their contract, only 3% um, actually stay in the reserves via direct affiliation program. So we have to maximize that, that retention to make the reserves healthy, keep the talent in service, and uh, in both the reserves and the active component, phasing further down a reserve active component permeability that allows the Marine to flow more fluidly in, in and out, yeah. which, which leads to you know, more of a direct recruiting model or lateral entry, et cetera. What if we were to take lateral entry and look at that as a reserve active component permeability function? I have a sergeant in Silicon Valley that is a, an executive or uh, an IT genius at Google, but he's a sergeant. But we can, he's really good at defensive cyber ops. Why couldn't we approach the sergeant in the reserves and say, you're really smart. You're the number one uh, cyber genius in the country. Why wouldn't we bring you in to work at Mar4 Cyber on a tech team? But we'll incentivize because you make 200000 a year at Google. Um, we can incentivize by let's put you through the officer accession pipeline and make you a captain and give you constructive credit for your education, your knowledge, your skills. No different than we do with lawyers, by the way. And let them come in and serve uh, at the, the Mar 4 Cyber or other low density, high demand technical MOSs that we have in service. So to say that, you know, it's just direct recruitment, it might not be. It might be a more permeable ACRC environment. That's, that's an interesting concept, um, and I want to, just real quick then, do you anticipate then that there's, across the total force, sufficient size that you won't have a, you won't change the problem itself, because um, even if you ramp up the attention desire, double or triple, they're still not growing flexibility across the total force then to address that, and then target the talent you want to you know, sir, one of the factors that we, we haven't talked about just yet, at least in this forum, but it's certainly a consideration with the TMX team, is um, that we, we may still not see those trends. And the reason for that is because we have a different retirement system. So now, um, now with the blended retirement system, a Marine can get out whenever they would like. And she might decide just to get out because she's got a better opportunity on the outside. Um, but whereas now, what you might find is when you're talking to some Marines, they'll say, well, I'm too close to 20 or too close to 30. I, I'm not willing to give up my retirement just yet. So these are all factors that we have to constantly continue to iterate on. Um, but it's certainly a great point that um, we, we, still, we still owe a little bit more work on that topic. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge problem. And I don't envy you one bit. Yeah. It, is, it is literally three ridge lines from now. But we're focusing on it, right? We're we're looking to call in fire on it. We just we need to we need to look at what the scope and scale of ambition we have to get there. Thank you.
may have to do something. Yeah, I just have a quick assignment for Major Cesaro. Um, when you, you talk about the, the reserve active permeability, this is something the reserve component has talked about for a long time, yet the word reserve does not occur in talent management 23. And so the very one of the very first things you should put out, Sharon, should be something talking about or, or publicizing all this good discussion about you know how we're going to take a, a total force look at talent management and that it was you know it, it's an oversight that it's not mentioned in the original document because now a lot of how you see you're going to leverage that talent is through working with marines already in the reserves so that yes was, that's a good assignment yes ma'am it's it's assigned um, Sharon. <laughs> um and i will just say that just and i'll let you move on because i think you have to uh to, to and become a good time here for everybody concerned. But the active component doesn't read the Marco Rose campaign plan. So I'll leave it at that. Yes, okay. yes, ma'am. You, you are correct. Uh, can I sign that as mandatory uh, reading? Our, our yeah. communication will absolutely include the, the reserve force manual. Yeah. And then our next summit is in New Orleans in February. Perfect. Yep, so we're going there. There's actually just a comment here in the chat noting that there's somewhat of a culture shock of active duty going over the reserves um, to. Uh, to characterize it massive culture shock in a just there's just a, there's not an awareness or an understanding of how the different worlds operate so it sounds like there's a there's a well and, right and then we see that permeability because one of the big notification one of the um, big takeaways when mark for res briefed us at the summit was really ring uh, Corps only ring Corps direct affiliation was only about 1.4 percent of our departing marines so either they're not fully aware of the situation or they're not fully aware of the opportunities or um, you know, there's always plenty of, plenty of um, conditions, but how can we start to better inform our Marines who still wanna stick around, still wanna wear the uniform uh, and be a part of the Marine Corps? Um, so we owe that to them. Yeah, great. Um, okay, so... Um... One more time around the room, I do have some more questions in the chat, and I do want to try and get to those as well so we can um, honor everybody's time here. So, okay, so we'll go back to the chat here, um, and I'll, tr I'll try and click through these uh, relatively um, quickly here. So uh, this next one is actually from um, Sean Reardon, who's a advisory on the advisory board for the NSC master's degree in education, training, and development. The question is, following up on the comment about uh, number one, retention motivator being career opportunity, in uh, in a increasingly modern and technically demanding Marine Corps as well as operating environment as a whole, what are we doing to recognize, to give recognizable academic qualifications? And the example given is you have a 20 year 0369 who spent two or three tours at an SOI. That's arguably uh, a, a huge amount of formal training um, where demonstrating sufficient competence a little bit farther for a bachelor's degree or higher um, should be something that could translate into. So um, it is, is translating more of those like um, job opportunities into formal credentialing, something like that. Well, I, I was just jotting that down because that was something that was really driven home at the summit last week. Um, it, it's something that, again, due out of the summit is, and, and this question is something that we are going to take a, a, a better look at because it's, it is a great point, and again, I can't, can't say it enough, that was something that came from each FMF um, to, to validate academic, um, a Marine getting um, a certain schooling and, and that being recognized in a capacity of either a, um, a retention bonus or, or something of that nature. But um, I'll, I'll look around the room to see if any. I think there's a lot of initiatives. So I talked to other Rockfields, and I know um, there's a program currently called the Pool Program that you can, MOSs um, can go and it's kind of like a drop-down menu and certain qualifications or credentials. You take a take a, a, a licensing exam and that will translate, so to kind of expedite that process. Um, it might not scratch the itch, but I know if the OC fields aren't involved in that process, the process won't evolve. Um, I've talked to the, the, the staff members at the Pool Program and some MOSs take it a little bit more seriously. I think Cyber got very involved in the credentialing process for their MOS and taking everything that they did to transfer over. That's one approach. I don't know if that scratches the edge this listener has, but um, like Captain Schumacher said, the other things were, were taken into consideration. Yeah, 
Great. Um, all right, next question is, um, and I've, I've actually seen this discussed in some other forms as well, so I'm, I'm personally curious too, is has there been consideration looking at multiple career tracks? Um, the questioner is asking specifically in the officer context, but maybe there's other contexts as well, but that are that are weighted equally for promotion and retention. And they're asking staff track, command track, uh, or technical specialist track. And I think there, I know there's some other um, allied militaries, I think, that, that do have these things. Is that something that's on the table? The yeah, absolutely, Jules. Um, so it's a conversation that's being had um, for not necessarily tracks. Again, the, the idea of flexibility um, and the word track really uh, are, seem to be antonyms. So we're, we're looking at um, uh, keeping that flexibility and, and what is on the table right now is um, doing screening boards for staff billets, essentially. So you'd have your you know, command screening board um, and then what would go hand in hand with the command screening board would be your G1s of your Mark IVs, uh, your G3s, and, and, and all um, the G shops of, of the major command. So that is what's being um, pitched in in lieu of having two designated tracks. And it, that is at its infancy stages. Um, several working groups need to be um, conducted to, to really formulate that thought, but that is that is what's on the table for us moving forward. Okay. Uh, so, do have a couple more questions here. We're looking at the clock. I want to make sure we're getting on everyone's time. So, I think I can kind of roll these last couple questions into a larger question um, to the talent management strategy team here and to the talent management office, management office as a whole is, Obviously, lots of good ideas out here. Lots of people thinking about ways to um, to improve or change the system to uh, to improve the value of the warfighter, but also keep the ones that we want, um, keep the ones who want to stay and keep contributing. So, these Marines and these uh, these other interested folks out here in our audience, if they have an idea on how to improve the system, um, how can they share it? Where do they submit it? Yeah, we we want to hear from these Marines, um, and so they can. Anyone can reach us at TMX at usmc.mil um, and we want to hear your ideas. You'll also have upcoming opportunities for during these listening sessions. We'll be advertising them very soon, um, but we want to hear your ideas. These are all really great thoughts and uh, we can only make the Marine Corps better with input from the Marines. Okay, great. I'll make sure you put that in the, the notes for this so people can start flooding your inbox. All right. Um, Sir, or to the, the group here, any final comments? No, I mean, there is, uh, I won't say, but I'll say um, it, it is a process, right? Uh, talent management is a design process. Um, but the passion the ACMAC has and the Commandant has in this space is, I would argue, a, a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to really challenge. Um, to challenge those norms that we currently face in our system, right? So know that uh, that it's not just this team of, of talent management strategy group that's looking at talent management initiatives. There are partners uh, across headquarters Marine on the fleet that are our sensors and advocates in this space that constantly loop in with us and provide feedback. The summit was a great opportunity to identify more sensors, more advocates, and it's, it's great since the summit, I spent Saturday, Sunday, talking more about the summit with summit attendees than I did while we're at the summit. And then on my way to work every day this week has been a conversation with somebody that was at the summit to talk about some of the things that went, went, were discussed. So that's happening across the team. This is, a, this, is a, this is an effort, a broad effort to get after this night. It's a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to really challenge the assumptions with the leadership we have, and it's, it's unbelievable. So please reach out to us, tmx at usmc.mil. We want to hear from you. Can you can you be a sensor for us? Can you be an advocate? We would like to hear from you. All right, great. Thank you for that, sir. And like I said, we're going to blast that email out. So you know, stand by to get reply. Um, I think you'll be getting a lot of messages. Okay, so uh, sir and everyone here from the talent management strategy group, definitely appreciate your time uh, coming over here today to to share this, uh, share what's been going on with us, with our virtual audience. Um, and eventually when this is posted, um, I think there's going to be a lot of very interested people just to, you know, to peek behind the curtain and learn more about this thing that's coming. Not, you know, it's here and it's coming and, and there's more down the road. And as you said, like once in a lifetime, like I, I certainly can't remember any point in the last, you know, 
couple decades I've been in uniform where there's been this amount of churn and change and, you know, seems like almost anything's possible. So it is a very exciting time. All right, to our audience, uh, thank you very much for joining us here today as well. I'm gonna um, hit a few upcoming events uh, that you can all watch for uh, coming in the next few days. And we'll start off with a new episode in our mini series of Down the Rabbit Hole on the Russia-Ukraine war that we should be having out this weekend. This will be myself and Dr. Yuval Weber, who's our, our Russia SMEAN, our regular guest, but we'll be joined by Dr. Rita Konaev, who's a research fellow at Georgetown Center for Security and Emerging Technology, and who broadcast followers might remember from a previous episode a few months ago, where she was talking about urban combat uh, considerations in Ukraine. So this coming episode, we're gonna talk about that information and her perspective in the context of the current fighting ongoing for the city of Severodonetsk in the Luhansk region of Eastern Ukraine, which has really been a focal point the last few weeks. And she's also going to address how there are some challenging timelines at play in the ability of Western weapon deliveries and sanctions to impact the situation on the ground in that part of the theater. Uh, and then we will have another rabbit hole coming a few days after that with our own Dr. Amin Tarzi, Director of Middle East Studies on the different roles that Turkey has been playing for both Western and Russian efforts in Ukraine. And finally, we will have a new broadcast that will be advertised here in the coming days. It's going to happen next Tuesday at noon with Dr. Dara K. Cohen of Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, which will focus on wartime sexual violence and what we know so far about sexual violence committed during the war in Ukraine. And this, this ties back to a couple of other episodes we've had on the subject as well. So make sure you're following us all on our social media channels so you don't miss out on any of these upcoming events. All right, again, thank you everybody for your time today and I look forward to putting this one out. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.